0: Can change the
1: world change the world change the
0: world. Oh, yes, can. We can change the world We can change the world change the world This is the Santita
2: Jackson show. Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome getting a little feedback here. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show here on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, March 9th, Thursday. Wow, can you believe it's already March? Thursday, March 9th, 2023. AM 950 Radio is my home to the north in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Sending you all much love today. The... Mayoral race here in Chicago is on and cracking, everybody, on and cracking. The the first televised debate was last night. It was exciting. A lot of punching back and forth between uh, Brandon Johnson and Paul Vallis. Paul Vallis will be our guest tomorrow, and Brandon Johnson will be with us on Monday. Can't wait to hear from them both about... Not just that debate, not looking back, but what they plan to offer the city, what they plan to offer the city. And let's talk about it, everybody. I want to hear who you got in this in this fight. Twenty four percent of Chicagoans, of people who are most likely to vote, have not made up their minds yet. Twenty four percent. The latest polls have Paul Vallis leading by 11 points, but 24 percent uh, have not made up their minds. So what do you think is going to happen? What, do you, what are you going to do? You're the one who's going to have to make it happen. So what are you going to do? What are you planning to do? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. We're going to be talking about that today. And then, of course, we're going to get the jobs report from Dr. Maxwell, brilliant economist, and child labor. Child labor has quadrupled in the United States Since 2015, why are we going back to child labor, which preceded the industrial age we did that in slavery? Why are we using children to do the work? Don't have to pay them as much now. I mean, it's it's a horrible thing. So we're going to be talking about that today. On the Santita Jackson Show. So let's get to some of the headlines in Chicago. 39 degrees. It will rain today. But in Minneapolis, St. Paul, you're going to have some snow. 33 degrees. Just about freezing you are. And in the NBA, the Bulls won 17. The Nuggets, 96. The Timberwolves had their night off, but not tomorrow night. In the NHL, the Red Wings, 4. Chicago, 3. The Wild, 2. They will triumphant over the Jets. All right, all right, all right, everybody. What are the latest headlines? President Joe Biden is set to release his 2024 budget today, laying out his policy vision for the year ahead. The new budget will cut the deficit by nearly $3 billion over the next 10 years, according to the White House. Advisors stress that the budget reflects his fiscal vision with significant investments in manufacturing, climate, education, paid leave, and health care, all paired with a menu of tax increases on corporations and wealthier Americans. Will it pass, everybody? People are saying that it won't, but we will see. It will also include cuts to wasteful spending on special interests like big oil, big oil and big pharma. We're going to talk about more of that as we go forward. Millions across central and northern California are bracing for it and uh, a really, really strong storm beginning today with heavy rain threatening to cause widespread flooding everybody in areas grappling with days-long snowfall again. More rain, more water. Wow. Talk about the mudslides that are coming. More than 17 million people are under flood watchers in California and slices of Nevada. At least 11 people were killed after Russia targeted critical infrastructure across Ukraine with more than 80 missile strikes today, according to officials. And the FBI director admitted yesterday in a U.S. Senate intelligence hearing that the cell phone geolocation data of Americans has been purchased by the FBI in the not-too-recent past. And many privacy advocates are saying that, hey, wait a minute, Uh, we have got to keep Americans' privacy uh, uppermost in our minds. And they're asking Congress to intervene to make sure that government surveillance, mass government surveillance, is not the order of the day. And those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. We, of course, have Pastor Darius Brooks Grace Central Church giving us some good news today. I ask you this every week, but I think it's so important because so many people are struggling, Pastor Brooks. Uh, we can get food at your church. How and when?
1: good morning. Every Tuesday from 5 till 7, uh, we feed eight different townships, and we give to to $300 in food, when I tell you it's like going shopping, it's going shopping. And I'm sharing this with you because it's true. On Wednesdays, we do noon to two for the seniors so they won't come out in the evening. That says Grace Central Church, one o two sixteen South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois. Every Tuesday, we was doing it before the pandemic. We did it during the pandemic, and God has blessed us to do it right now, and which is going to be the message today. Santini, we're still serving and feeding the hungry, healing the sick spiritually, and it ain't going to stop until Jesus comes again. I know what you heard, but you can't get a doll out of me. Somebody got to keep serving, keep trusting, keep believing, and keep having faith, which takes me to the message today. Let's journey through the good news, Antietam. Romans 14, 22 and 23. Has thou faith Have it to thyself before God? Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth, not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Jesus, if I had to use what's up this morning, this thing told me, uh, um, he is more faithful than good. God more faithful than good. Indeed, I'm in the room in my house and I'm going to run out of here because it's so true. Dealing with the generation of baggage, we've become skeptical growing up in church. We are taught things, theologies, and stuff, Santita, that gave so called answers to every situation. True faith was assumed and questions were not always welcome. Yet, doubt and cynicism marked much of who we are today. Growing up in the 80s and 90s and even now gave us reasons to question perceived truths. Well-known people in the Bible and some of us who have seen kept the faith and people of positions in the position of the church being fell off of much of what we've experienced and are experiencing today and made us fall short of what was promised. And so we doubt our faith, our family, our love for each other. We doubt the motivation of God's word and stories of some of them who told us and have written experiences on how God has brought them out of darkness into a marvelous light. And through any situation that comes our way, we doubt their advice. Then Peter... He's more faithful than good. For those who have been separated from the church because of doubt, keep searching and questioning. For those who have remained silent and quiet, struggling with their faith, be honest with yourself. Talk to yourself. Ask yourself questions. Leave room for uncertainty. But one thing for sure that I recommend is that you allow God to descend himself. Indeed, I'm about to run up out of here, which is what I did. I stopped believing what everybody else told me, and I started getting into his word for myself. I told Grace Central on Sunday, stop paying attention to what God is doing, and do it. just do what he told you to do. So often we live as if God and his word rely solely on others and even us. God has called the believer to live as truth and light in and through him and his truth will not cease, and his light will not be darkened. Instead of making God's truth a reputation, our responsibility is to know him for ourselves in our private space and place. Our responsibility is to live honestly and obedient about our faith and what we believe as individuals. You who have faith, work it. Those of you who doubt, Get more involved in seeking Him. And this time around, do it between you and God. I just heard on your show a second ago Santita, that the Social Security is with you through your life's journey. <laughs> mm. It's with you when you're married, fourth happy, sad, or mad.
2: <laughs> uh, it absolutely. It, it,
1: it, everything you go through, it identifies you wherever. Go. Don't let Social Security or anything else be bigger than God's Word. God's Word is more faithful than good. All of His promises are yay and amen. Don't let your Word
2: But I love it. Endure, 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 everybody. Endure. And again, how can we get the food and where are you located?
1: Grace Central Church, 102 16 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, right off of 290 in Manhattan. Every Tuesday from 5 till 7, and every Wednesday for seniors from noon till 2. Grace Central Church, 102 16 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, right by Maywood and Hillside on the west side. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: Pastor Darius Brooks oh yes that Darius Brooks your will is what's best for me and the Tommies we just love you Pastor Brooks we're going to bring on Dr. Shanina Knighton infection preventionist and of course her handle is Hey Dr. Nina on social media H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A we have been talking about oh my goodness sugar and our own health this week and I think it, it really I just wanted to dig in to that just a little bit further, uh, Dr. Knighton, because as you mentioned the other day, sugar is everywhere. I mean, when you really examine the contents of your food, sugar is in so many places. And I remember about a little more than 20 years ago, or maybe it was just exactly 20 years ago, there was the World Health Organization launched a war on obesity. And do you know who their biggest foe was? The American Sugar Lobby. Wow, <laughs> And that was at the same time that everybody was beating up Dr. Atkins, and Dr. Dr. Atkins, which now the keto diet really comes in part from him. Uh, his when you I lived in New York and I became one of his patients, Dr. Knighton. And what was amazing was that he his clinic was in the wealthiest zip code in New York, and you would have thought that just the wealthiest people in New York would have been there. Yeah, not quite. What you saw in New York, even though he catered to very wealthy people, when you walked into the clinic, it was nothing but black and brown people. It was amazing, amazing. And this was more than 20 years ago when I did that. And and I thought about it. And I said, wow, they attacked him. The sugar lobby attacked him. And um, trying to get off sugar, I couldn't have sugar. Anything that tasted sweet, they wouldn't even let me have sweeteners for the first time like 11, 12 days because they wanted to come, they wanted me to come back in. They wanted to do my blood work and see what the, what my reaction was. And it's a funny thing. You know, I lost like 15 pounds. It was amazing. Amazing. What is it about this processed sugar, Dr. Knighton? And how do we, how do, how do we deal with it? Cause it's, it, you know, trying to not use it. Girl, I just tried to do my best to stay home. Obviously, I couldn't do that, but it was so hard. It was so hard. It was so hard, Dr. Knighton. But, I mean, sugar is almost, it feels like it's addictive. Dr. Knighton.
3: Yes. So, that's the thing, Santita, that's so interesting. look, I don't want the lobbyists coming after me to... (laughs)
2: <laughs> Wait like they did with Oprah and the beef. <laughs>
3: yes, because I think the thing is, is the reality and you've heard this story like over again, like back in the day, you know, when people would fight and I'm thinking about like let's say like the poison squad, right, that actually lobbied against certain food ingredients that argue against certain things. And there's stories that even when it came back down to like, let's say a uh, brand of pop that used to put cocaine inside of the pop, right. That when that came up to be a bit concerned back then, because people were so surprised that that was done, the argument or the reason that the argument was one is because they knew that sugar was just as much as, it was just as much as of an addictive drug, and will have longevity. It is in absolutely everything, which is why you see, as you mentioned, certain diets that advertise don't do more than a hundred grams of sugar, you know, per day. Do X, Y, and Z because it's known now, like the effects that it can have on the body, but we don't think about how it's in everything. So, for example, think about a kid that goes to school every day and all that your mother can afford is peanut butter and jelly. Mm. You're looking at the jelly that's got added sugar. You're looking at the peanut butter that's got added sugar. And you're looking at the two pieces of bread. Just that PB&J is likely your sugar content for the day. And it depends, because, you know, it depends on how you put it together. But that's how crazy it is. So imagine eating that for breakfast. Then you turn around lunchtime, unless you're having a salad. Let's say you're eating. So you eat. Oh, and then that's another thing, breakfast. So I just I was on lunch. But let's say breakfast is pancakes or some Mm. sort of breakfast with some syrup. It's still sugar. And so what it is, and then, too, like, even if you have fresh fruit in the morning, but you're eating it with a breakfast sandwich or you're eating it with a pastry is sugar. And we don't think about how that sugar adds up. Because by the time we make it to dinner, unless, let's say, we're eating protein and vegetables, we know potatoes, which contain sugar. Sugar. You don't, <laughs> yeah, you don't realize how much sugar you're eating. Or consuming. And then think about if you're like, hey, let me have a glass of wine with my meal. Let me have a cup of fruit juice with my meal. All of those things add up. Or let's say you got dessert after dinner. The brain has completely erased the fact that you had all of this other sugar earlier today. So when people say that they have a hard time, like, lose a weight, or they're like, well, I ate decent this week. The last thing that we do not think about is sugar. And when we don't think about sugar and the fact that it can convert into fat, the fact that our bodies, we ask ourselves, like, why is it that it take me two months, two years to lose weight, but it take me two weeks to pick it back up? It's hmm. because... Without exercise or without doing something to your body that's getting ready to adjust, but the amount of sugar that's converting it into fat, it's going to convert into fat much quicker than what it is you will be able to convert something into muscle. And it's a sad reality, but it's true. And so we don't think about just that process, as I mentioned, of what are we doing to ourselves to understand that it starts with mindfulness. It starts with a consciousness of thinking through, what am I going to eat? So when you hear people say they're meal prepping or they're planning out their menu, it's really easy for a coworker to entice you with a donut. And then you still have your plan to schedule. So it's really having to be very diligent, persistent, and oh, my gosh, like you you have to have self-control because it's so much of it that is around us that we don't understand that we're over-consuming and that is making us sick.
2: And you don't even know what sugar is. I mean, starches. I remember, look, I was always on a diet as a child and my next-door neighbor, Dawn and I, our mothers constantly had us dieting. And the diets then were to restrict the starches. But no one made the connection between that and sugar. You know?
3: Exactly. But the problem is, is when we think about, let's say, sugar intake, Hmm. it impacts your body's ability to fight off infection. It can, like fungus feeds off of it in the body. So when your body is ill, it's actually something that it craves. When you hear about people having sugar rushes, when you think about the long-term consequences of diabetes and what diabetes does to the body, because your body isn't able to balance sugar appropriately. And as a result leads to circulation issues and other issues with other organs. Um, when you think about having your kidneys functioning and your kidneys need and like, let's just say water to be able to flush it out. But if your body is overwhelmed with sugar, and that sugar that then has to be filtered through your
2: kidneys is impacting your kidneys. Unbelievable! Oh, wow. I have about yes. a minute left. What should because you know when you take the sugar out your diet, you will lose this weight. What should we be conscious of? Should we be looking out for starches? Or I mean, what's the answer? It's all of
3: that, and the thing is is when you think about like, let's say a lot of people suggest like that you should have no more than six teaspoons or 24 grams of sugar. Start by looking at your labels and start by adding it up before you consume it or add it up even after you've consumed it to see how close or away you fall from that 24 grams. Now I told you that 75 grams Can cause your immune system to dip for five hours. We know that on a regular basis we're above that. Mm. We know that a cup of coffee, as I mentioned, and a pastry gets us at 75 grams. If it's restricted, and I'm telling you that 24 grams is too much, or six teaspoons,
4: a lot of us are
2: already over as women, you know. Before we walk out the door, You know, stay right here. Everybody, hey, Dr. Nina, H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A. Wow. Get some information from this woman. And we're going to continue this conversation about it tomorrow and the next day and the next day because you need to know, you know, how you pick up that 10, 15, 20, 30 pounds. This is how this happens. Back with more. We're talking about the Chicago mayoral debate on the other side of the break on the Santita Jackson show.
1: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
2: Everybody welcome to the Santita Jackson show. It is March 9th, Thursday. Thursday, and this afternoon we are going to have a health and wellness panel from 4 to 6. I hope you will join join Esposito, Patty Vesquez and I here on WCPT and on our Facebook pages. I'm going to share it on mine as well. It will be talking about integrative medicine and you want to you need to be a part of that everybody. Integrative medicine, you know, your headphones connected to you neck bone, neck bones connected to you, all of that. All of that, and even naturopathic remedies. Everything will be on the table, and so we want you to be there from four to six. All right, let's talk about this mayoral race, everybody. According to the latest polls, Paul Vallis has a solid lead, 11 points ahead of Brandon Johnson, but 24% of the electorate is... Well, they are undecided. So what does that mean? What's what's happening? So many establishment African-Americans are supporting Paul Vallis. What's the deal? Uh, and which is surprising a lot of people. Uh, but it's, it's still anybody's race, everybody. Of course, Paul Vallis will be on this show tomorrow, and Brandon Johnson will be on this show on Monday. So we're looking forward to speaking with them both. Well, before we do that, let us talk with you, Shapiro Wells. You have got uh, celebrations by us. Oh, boy, I've got to get some food from you myself. Love it, love it, love it.
4: Good morning, Santita. And yes, we are now gearing up for prom season. At Celebrations by Us, we are taking your orders for your balloon arches, as well as also your custom backdrops, as well as also your sweet tables. So give us a call at 708-526-4546. 708-526-4546. And we're doing all of your, uh, blue colors, as well as also mascots, custom backdrops, or whatever you need for your prom send-off call us, and we're also doing, of course, our food. So we're doing a lot of hors d'oeuvres, sandwiches, um, uh, as well as also uh, food trays and meatballs. So give us a call, 708-526-4546. We're putting out our prom packages for your convenience, so that that way you can have a, a select uh, set package for you to choose from. So call us at 708-526-4546. We look forward to serving you. Thank you so much, Vendita.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And let me say hello to my morning stars, Daryl Prunty and Andre Parker and Joyce Anderson. Of course, Mark Stevens from D.C. and Shirley from beautiful Philadelphia. Love it. Love it. Joyce Anderson. And uh, let me see. There's so many of you who are out here today. Joyce and Laura Bell. Hey, girly girl. Hey, y'all. Sending you all much love. Robert. Uh, hallelujah to you, too. Barbara Bacon from Oak Park. Love it. Jewel from up there in New York. Going to see you in another week or so. Jewel. And then Francis, always lifting up our elected officials, sending you much love. And our our beloved from France, sending you much love. I'm sending you many kisses, too. And, uh, of course, I'm just so glad that you all are with us today. Please continue to interact with each other. You can, of course, join the Morning Stars on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and on the Santita Jackson and Friends page. So let's get right to it. We have got an election for the Chicago mayor, April 4th, and you have aldermanic races on the table, too, but everyone's looking at the Chicago mayor. But you need to look at the aldermanic races also. Last night, though, there was the first televised debate in the Post Uh, I guess in the, well, now we got a runoff. That's what's happening on April 4th. And so now Paul Vallis and Brandon Johnson faced off last night and sparks flew, sparks flew. And now we see in the latest polling that Paul Vallis is leading by 11 points with 24% of the electorate undecided. So... It's anybody's race. What's going to happen? We're talking with Reverend Jeanette Wilson uh, from Rainbow Push. Of course, she is the pastor of the Maple Park United Methodist Church and, of course, brilliant political strategist and crisis management consultant, Kevin Lampe. Let me start with you, Kevin. What do you see?
5: Well, I see that is... Um, the race is the race is on, and it's now the sprint to April fourth, or, or actually to early voting starts when we begin the, the voting season before the election day. But what I saw in the debate and in the coverage of it is that you know Paul Vallis's job was to look mayoral and not to get into arguments with Brandon Johnson, um, which, which he achieved for the most part. Um, but Brandon Johnson also needs to look mayoral. Uh, Paul Ballas, that comes easy for him. He's had years of experience of being a spokesperson on all the different activities he's done in his professional life. Brandon Johnson, this is uh, this is new for him to to get onto the big stage. But I think he did a good job um, at the debate. He, he was strong. He pushed on the issues, and he demonstrated that um, he could be mayor of the city.
2: How do you? Why do you say that he demonstrated that he could be mayor? that, that he did well on the big stage. What was it that that you found reassuring? Because you work with candidates all the time. Indeed, part of your work is getting these candidates ready, like Barack Obama when he was a state senator, and then when he getting him ready for the big stage. And then when he became a senator, you wanted to get him ready for the bigger stage. What do you tell a candidate to do?
6: What they need to do is they need
5: to be confident in their answers. They need to always be... You need to present ideas that you know what you're talking about and that you're confident in the details, and confident in the facts. You need to be well-read, you need to be well-researched, and you need to get out there and you need to make your points of what is important. And you need to understand what you're doing and what your message is going to be when you start to speak. And that, I think Brandon Johnson has done a good job and gets better with it each time he does it. The only, the only way you're going to get better at this is to do it more often, and that's why I'm excited that there's going to be a number of forums and debates uh, through the course of this
2: election. Mm. Your thoughts, Reverend Jeanette Wilson, Esquire?
7: Well, I, I thought that uh, the two men were very different in how they responded to the questions that Ann Ahern asked. One... Uh, Brandon is extremely aspirational. I think he has great uh, great ideas about what we can do, what we should do. And it's uh, it, remem- it reminds me of Barack's The Audacity of Hope. Dallas, on the other hand, having worked in uh, the budget office, had more specific responses to what he would do, possibly could do. Neither of them really answered all of the questions. I think 45 seconds is a... Uh, it's a long time on television, but it's a short time to give a, a, a complete response. People are looking to hear, what will you do, not uh, responding to the needs. Yes, we have a need for safety. What are you going to do differently than what has been done over the past several decades and even over the past four years? And so I think that uh, I'm looking forward to the next debate where they can be more specific about what you plan to implement, and I think that part of it is who are you talking to in preparation for this this stage. I remember uh, your father, as you perhaps do, uh, his preparation. He had a wealth of insight, but uh, when Reverend prepared to speak anywhere, he talked to several experts in the field. If it was a legal matter, he talked to a a diverse body of lawyers. If it mm-hmm. were Uh, And he would have meetings. He'd (laughs) have meetings. You didn't. Meetings. You don't don't go into this talking to your staff who uh, may be well-intentioned, but they don't have the facts. They don't have the background. They don't have the experience. I think that if you want to not win just the debate but win the public, you have to stand there and act as though you really do know what to do, not not because you've necessarily had all of the experience, but you've talked to people with experience. That's what made a email Jones powerful when he arose in the Senate because he had been groomed for years in this political operation uh, when he first came to Chicago. And you, you, know, you didn't have to agree with those guys, but they had been groomed and prepared for the positions uh, that they, uh, they earned. You look at uh, Tony Pretwinkle. She has been in the the system for a while as an older person, and now, as President of the county board, she has a real knowledge of what to do, who whose buttons you have to to push to move things forward. And I don't think that I saw that in the uh, in the conversation yesterday.
2: Mm, I want you to call me at seven seven three seven six three. 9278, 773, seven, nine, seven, Whether you saw the debate or not, where are you and whom are you inclined to vote for? I mean, just who strikes you as someone who is, who, who strikes you as someone who would lead this city in the way that you would want it led and the direction in which you'd want it led? Who do you like in this race? Paul Vallis, according to these polls, is 11 points ahead, but 24%, a full quarter of us, are undecided. Why do you think 24% is, I mean, it seems like a lot of folks are undecided still, Kevin Lampe. They're still trying to figure it out.
5: Oh, absolutely. Because the, race, the dynamics of the race has changed now. We've gone from having, you know, a, a nine some choices to having two choices now. And people still are figuring out what they want to say. And and and, and polling is just a snapshot in time. You know, that number of undecideds can go up or down on a daily basis, but that's Finding people that we, and this is you know basically every time every, each candidate when they start a race they they, they can count on that they're they're going to have each about thirty percent and then you fight you you fight over the other another forty percent that's in the middle and I think I think the undecided some are, um, are 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 in a certain extent. Uh, because those undecideds may not even agree to talk about a poll, because they didn't know enough to even answer a poll when when they, when the opportunity arises for them.
2: Are you surprised that Paul Vallis is, you know, has a solid lead at this time according to these polls?
5: Not at all. You know, he did a, did a good job during during the, the, the first stage of this race. In order to build that, he had a natural consistency uh, that he was going after with the law and order message um, that gave him, you know, gave him, you know, um, you know, almost forty percent of the vote. And so that is is clear that those voters are with him. They're going to stay with him. They're not fluid. Brandon Johnson surged um, and, and talks of having around the city. People saw that he was moving at the right moment, that the interest in him was, was increasing almost on a daily basis as he went into the election on February 28th. He took advantage of that. He went out, and worked hard. He went out and, and participated um, in neighborhoods. He went out and did the retail politics. His ground team was very effective in what they did in getting a turnout and getting people to show off for him. And so, you know, this is, this is a challenge of being able to have this two-stage race when you, you, you need to have the momentum to get you through the first stage, and then you start to build on it. And the good thing, you know, what's, what the advantage is for Brandon right now is, is he's the alternative, and he's going to continue to be one that people are going to be more interested in as he continues to campaign aggressively. And, with, and then you start the battle for the money. As the money is born in, we're going to be inundated with uh, TV commercials and people knocking on their doors and 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 phone, phone calls. It's going to be hard to avoid this election.
2: Ooh, let me go to Otis. Otis, what's on your mind today?
6: I'm just listening to this, and honestly, I'm 54 years old. I'll be 55 in April. I'm I'm so tired of these candidates coming on, and nobody talking about the black belt, black economics about helping us own our own businesses in our community, so we can feed, clothes, and shelter each other, and have our own centers like these other. Groups do. I'm so tired of it. I'm at that point. I don't even want to vote because all I hear is police, police. They, they, it, the way they're talking about it, they make it sound like they need so much police in the black communities. Like when you walk down the street, minding your business, the police could just pull you over just just because they in, all because of a, of a, a reputation. Well, you know, the, that's a bad community, so we get we had the right to pull people over or stop people from walking for no reason. I'm so tired of this. I mean, when <clears throat> If any one of them talking about black economics, if I don't hear anything about black economics, what they get, it, what they're going to do? Honestly, I don't think I'm going to vote because they don't even matter. Because ever since Mayor Daley been in office, from so Daley all the way up to Lightfoot, it's been the same thing. It's been the same thing. Anybody out there, prove me wrong. Call in to prove me wrong or prove me right. Thank you.
2: Well, you know, I tell you, Otis. I hope that you vote, but remember, hurt dogs, holler. You know, you have to, You, have to, you I think you're vo- voicing your concerns. That's very important, but you've got to get involved in these campaigns. You've got to organize your friends. You've got to show up at these town hall meetings, at these debates. You've got to show up, and you've got to confront the candidates in a respectful way, but you got to do that. Jeanette, before we go to the other callers, Why don't you respond to Otis? Because he expresses a real frustration and concern. Well,
7: uh, he he expresses what a, a large mass of undecided people are saying, people that didn't vote this last time because they were confused, disappointed. Because when he talks about black economic development, I think the mayor Lightfoot moved to put that in place. but. Government doesn't move as quickly as we would expect or as orderly as we expect because we Mm -hmm. don't keep the pressure on. We elect aldermen and we never talk to them about what's happening in our community. How are we going to benefit economically? Who's going to manage the stores? Who's going to build the stores? Who's going to pay the community? I looked the other day in my ward and here's a person from a whole nother town. Uh, putting in uh, gas lines, new gas lines, not a black contractor. We have to shut down sites where we don't work. Whoever's the mayor, they have to know we care, whoever's the alderman, that we care about what happens in our communities. You have got parks that haven't been open to children in 20 decades in our communities. And so, yes, Otis, you have to vote, but you also have to hold whoever wins accountable because whoever wins, you're paying their salaries. You, Mm -hmm. you are, they, they work for us. And I think that's what we have to really communicate. These mm -hmm. people work for us. And if they work for you, you need to tell them what kind of job they should be doing and what kind of job they're not doing. And if they don't do the job, if it's four years, you're
2: out. Well, you You know, and let them, and also remember that the people who you voted for, who really philosophically are aligned with you, when they get into elective office, they serve everybody including the people who voted against them or who did not like them and the people who did not like them and who voted against them will be in the office because they need favor they need this person to do their work because the person represents them too you got to stay involved everybody you've got to stay involved let me go to pam pam are you are you there for us now
8: yes yes i am i'm here all right what's on your mind pam I saw the uh debate, uh you talked about the establishment uh I guess endorsements for ballots. I believe that's one of the reasons the black community is in the condition um that it is. And I'm just saying that it seems like the establishment, um, do you put your business policies before the needs of the masses? And so and that's my concern. Um uh, mm-hmm. so I saw the debate I heard uh, Vallis just rattle off a bunch of numbers, and uh, just really trying to talk fast. I guess impress people with whatever experience we've had. Vallis, and, and watching him in the debate, it just put me in the mind of Romney, Emanuel, and Daly. Uh, I'm not looking to regurgitate anything that has been done. I need to know why is it radical to work for the masses of the people. Uh, I've been to the canvassing for Brandon Johnson, very positive responses. I've also attended House politics. And I can tell you, he talks about, I'm going to tell you the truth. I happen to believe that Santita is going to be about who do you trust? Who who, who do you believe is going to really try to work for the people? Uh, Brandon, they want to vilify his support. But now we hear that Dallas is supported by Ken Griffin. We know his ideology and his policies. So I'm concerned, yes, about public safety. Since, I've told you many times, I live in one of those communities that is mm-hmm. plagued with violence, drug use, and drug sales. So I believe that Commissioner Brandon, a mayor, Brandon Johnson, would be the one to deal with that in a significant way. I mean, you talk about compassion. As a mayor, I want a mayor with compassion. But I want one that, look at Brandon's plans. At least he's offered a budget plan and put it for the people to review. And he said that at the debate. I mean, transparency. My God, if we don't get that from this mayor, it's going to be problematic. For me, uh, Dallas is is using scare tactics. I'm not scared out here, Stantita. I'm scared of the police that are affiliated with the Proud Boys and the hate group. What moderator is going to ask that question? I'm afraid that the police have been on lockdown and not working very hard to prevent crime under the FOP leadership when John Cantazara is in there. And lastly, I'm going to say this. I am looking for someone on that fifth floor to Republican proof, Trump proof, and MAGA proof the fifth floor executive leadership. I trust Brandon Johnson.
2: Mm. Well, I tell I you what it. you're going to have to do. I hear you. What, whoever gets in, you are going to have to hold them accountable. I've got one minute for you, uh, Reverend Wilson, and one minute for Kevin Lampe. Jeanette?
7: Well, I think we, as you say, we have to hold them accountable, but we also have to be clear on our expectations. None of these debates include questions from the people. So we need to fight so that the people can have their questions submitted to the television station so that they can be asked of the candidates the issues that we're concerned about, what we want to hear from them. And that's something that we have to do and demand. And then when they, whoever gets elected... We must have our agenda that they expect, uh, we expect, whoever it is, whether it's uh, either either candidate, what do we want them to do and what are we willing to do? It's not enough to cash your vote and then you go home and sit on the couch and complain. Mm-hmm. You have to be active in these community organizations, active in these offices. Go to, I look at the uh, city council meetings, how many of you have ever if you're not working, ever been to a city council meeting to see what's happening, what what legislation ordinances are being passed, what discussions are being held, and participate in the public comment, that's where the, uh, the elected policymakers appear before us, and we're not there to hear what they're saying, t- to tell us what they're doing.
2: And you, you better get more. there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that sausage making ain't sexy, but I tell you what—you sure do like sausage, so you better get in there so you can help make it. Uh, Kevin Lampe, the last minute belongs to you.
5: Thank you, Santita, and, and I think I think uh, the, the caller there brings up a number of important points that um, we need to be discussing, and we need to be the job now of the media and the voters, hand in hand, is to constantly be challenging these candidates to explain what they're going to do to get beyond the, the, the platitudes and be able to tell us, all right, you keep saying you want more police. How do you want the police to do their jobs? But then again, what is the root challenge that we face that is creating this unsafeness on the streets? What do we need to do? What kind of economic development do we need to do be doing in the community? What What type of education do we need providing our children? We need to be getting into those specifics and pushing them on details so they don't spend their time saying, we need more police, more police, more police, or or, we need this. No. How are we going to get to that point? We've established the fact, let's talk about police for a moment. We've established that there's not enough police, and we know there's a a few thousand openings right now. But what is stopping us from getting the qualified candidates? What is stopping us from getting the people that can do a good job at community policing let's get into the root cause of things and not just spend our time talking about these talking points
2: Hmm. everybody rainbow push will be having a debate we're working on the date right now and we want to get your questions want to get your thoughts pam we will be keeping you uppermost in mind before kevin lampy can send me a text i just i'm about to send you one because i know you're like wait a minute we need to get your thoughts into the debate Reverend Jeanette Wilson is right. You've got to advocate for yourself. And we need to get your questions into the debates. Everybody, who wants to be a homeowner? If you think it's beyond your reach, it's not. Team Hawkburg, David Hochberg, is going to be joining us at the top of the hour. We want to make at least 20 people homeowners. Twenty twenty, twenty, twenty. Who wants to be a homeowner? Who's still using that debit card? You should not be using that debit card, you need to get a credit card. You say my credit's not right. Well we're gonna figure out how we can make your get your credit to the place where you can get a credit card. Back with more of the Santita Jackson show in just a few minutes.
1: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
0: Gotta save the children. We can't wait. Let's change the world.
2: Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is March 9th, Thursday, March 9th, 2023. I want you to call me. Here at WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station at AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Who wants to be a homeowner? David Hockberg is here. You've heard me talking about David Hochberg and his team. And I want you to call him today if you want to be a homeowner, if you're still using that debit card. You don't get any points for using a debit card. You need to get a credit card. You say, my credit's not good. Well, we're going to be talking to him about that in just a few minutes because the goal on the Santita Jackson show is to get at least 20 of you, at least, at least. Make you homeowners. How will that happen? Well, he's going to explain it when he comes up in just a couple of minutes. I want you to call me at 773 763 9278. Tell me who you're going to vote for for mayor or if you're part of the undecided group and all of that. I want you to call us at 773 763 9278 at the bottom of the the hour. Economist Dr. Max Wolf will be talking with us about the jobs report, but also child labor, which is quadrupled in the United States since 2015. It's quadrupled in the United States. Not learned anything. Child labor, we look at those pictures from the turn of the last century. No, no, no. We had child labor absolutely in slavery. This is how we do things in the United States. What will we learn? (laughs) You can't just continue to not pay people for their work and call yourself rich. No, that's not rich. That's another R word, and it's a four-letter word, R-A-P-E. There you go. Call me at 773 763 in Chicago. There will be snow in the NBA. The Bulls were triumphant last night, 117 to 96 over the Nuggets. The Timberwolves had the night off, but, uh uh-uh not anymore. In the NHL, the Red Wings for Chicago 3, in the Wild were triumphant over the Jets last night. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. President Joe Biden is set to release his 2024 budget today, laying out his policy vision for the year ahead, according to this CNN report. The new budget will cut the deficit by nearly $3 billion over the next 10 years, the White House announced yesterday. Advisors stress that the budget reflect- reflects his fiscal vision. Significant investments in manufacturing, climate, education, paid leave and health care all paired with a menu of tax increases on the very wealthy and corporations, everybody, including pressing big oil and big pharma to be fair. Millions across central and northern California are bracing for an alarming storm beginning today with heavy rain. Wow, California's getting hit hard and this heavy rain threatens to cause widespread flooding, more flooding. In areas grappling with days-long snowfall, more water, everybody, more than 17 million people are under flood watches in California and Nevada. At least 11 people were killed after Russia targeted critical infrastructure across Ukraine with more than 80 missile strikes today, according to officials. Following the strikes, 15% of Kiev went without electricity temporarily, according to an official in the region, as crews work to restore power. Ukrainian President Zelensky said the Russian assault was an attempt to intimidate Ukrainians again and to terrorize civilians. Sadly, that is what happens in war, everybody. The cost of food ingredients is down, but grocery bills are still up. Hmm, how does that work, everybody? In part, this is because food producers, which stated raising prices a few years ago, have other expenses that remain pricey, like labor, and transportation. But critics and industry experts say the cost increases during the pandemic gave food makers cover to hike prices above what those increases called for, boosting profits and correcting what they saw as too low prices in previous years. I don't know how paying labor becomes a chore for owners who are making a profit. Think about that, everybody. You know what? We've been talking about Team Hochberg for a little more than a year now, and they have been very generous with the show, and we've tried to be generous with them, introducing them to people so that we could get them in the community, which is where they want to be, and help you to become homeowners, help you to get your credit together, help you to really understand financial products and how they can work for you. And so I want you to know that if you are a first-time homebuyer, which means You haven't owned a home in the last three years. In the last three years, you need to call Team Hockberg and this man, David Hockberg, who I have with me today. He's your trusted local lender. First time buyers made up just 26% of home buyers last year, down from 34% the previous year. The numbers continue to fall. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac want to turn these numbers around. They've been alarmed by them. And so they want to incentivize first-time homebuyers like you, those people who have not owned a home in the past three years. And they're offering substantially lower rates. Now, this program can be upended at any time. So you need to go on and call 855-56-DAVID, 855-56-DAVID, right now. Call them right now and tell them all about it. Tell them everything. If you live in the Chicago area and you earn less than 105700 dollars that's in your household, and you have not owned a home within the past three years, call Team Hochberg at 855-56-DAVID. And you might qualify for one of these amazingly low rates, but you won't know unless you call them everybody. So if you want to create generational wealth for yourself, for your children, for your grandchildren, get a house. Or find out what else you can buy, but you got to get your credit together and all of that. And so please call them at eight five 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 six David or go to their website at 56David.com. 56David.com. Welcome back to the show, David Hochberg. How are you?
9: Good morning. I'm outstanding. Thanks for having me.
2: Fantastic. You know what? You want to, um, you said, look, and you and I have talked about this because we want this to be an opportunity for people. Uh, where they can really benefit. And um, we want to create some homeowners here. Can you speak about that?
9: Sure. Sure. You and I had lunch a couple, three weeks ago, and I explained in detail what uh, FHFA, the the Federal Housing Finance Authority, rule came down and Fannie Freddie adopted, which made it, um, took away all the barriers. They're called loan level price adjusters, not going too deep in the woods here, but those are different uh, taxes, if you will, for first-time home, but for any type of buyer or refi- any type of homeowner looking to buy a home or refinance. So what they did, because first-time home ownership, according to the National Association of Realtors, 41-year sh- survey, it's the lowest percentage of first-time home buyers, 26% of the overall market. That kind of freaked out FHFA and made Fannie Freddie implement these new rules that eliminated all of these barriers for first-time homebuyers. What well,
2: hold on. Mean? Why have the numbers fallen so low? What's going on?
9: Well, last year at this time, it's a great question. Last year at this time, the 30-year fixed was coming out of the threes, and we were solidly in the fours, okay? Fast forward now, we're in the sevens. So the the interest rates started incrementally going up on a meteoric basis i mean they just started go flying up last year i mean we started the year in the threes we ended it in the sixes but it peaked out in the sevens now at the beginning of this year santina we started in the sixes it dipped down in the low sixes now we're into the mid sevens again so we're back into the sevens fed chair Powell talked yesterday uh basically told Everybody that was listening, he doesn't plan on taking his foot off the gas anytime soon with the interest rate. So we're here for a pretty long period of time in the 7th. So the major barrier was affordability, okay? Your mortgage payment that you could afford in the 3s or in the 2s or the 3s and the 4s even became unapproachable and unobtainable when, when they hit the 6s and the 7s. So And especially if you had a low credit score and you were buying a 2- or 3-unit building, they, they're, they're higher credit overlays that, that came with those type of properties, which made it even more expensive. So Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, via FHFA, did all the loan level price adjusters for first time home buyers that are under 100 percent of the average median income of your county. So in Cook County and here in Illinois, I know you're up in, in Minnesota as well. We're
2: like and you know, Minnesota. and which goes to D Ray because people outside of even Minnesota, because we have people from all over the country listen to the show and they're part of the show. Sure. They want to know does this is this a program would you be able to help people say in New York, in Los Angeles? Yes. Also okay. well, this is Okay, this is speak all to them.
9: States.
2: Okay, let yeah. them know that you're not all just talking to people in Chicago.
9: Yeah, this is all fifty states and, and each state and, and each county per state has a different average median income. So that's why when we talk about Cook County or Lake County or Little County or Kane County here in Illinois, the average median income is one hundred and five thousand seven hundred. I'll just use that
6: as an example. Okay. now,
2: now that one hundred and five thousand seven hundred, is that the total income for your house, say you yes. know yes. you know, your the husband, wife, the two partners? Is that, that means between the two of you? You together, you you can't make more than one hundred five thousand seven hundred dollars.
6: Who's ever on the loan? That's
9: what I was going to, you know, I was going to get into a little deeper. And thanks for bringing mm-hmm. that up. Who's ever on the loan? So if you have two two individuals, two borrowers right in a house and they makes and they each make one hundred thousand dollars. OK, and uh, and your average median income limit in your county is one hundred and five thousand seven hundred dollars like it is in Lake Lake. Cook, DuPage, and Well County here and Kane County here in Illinois. And one person, one borrower in that household could carry the mortgage. And and they hadn't been and they haven't been on the deed of a property within the past three years, which means that you haven't owned a home in the past three years, and that's the Sandy Mae Freddie Mac rule. That's the government's rule. I know it's a little crazy, but you could be fifty years old, owned a home when you were in your forties been renting for the past three to five years, and you're now considered a first-time homebuyer, even though you owned a home before. So these are the rules that we're working in that the federal government set out. So if one person, one borrower, can carry the load, uh, the loan with all the debt, you could get these lower rates. So there's a lot of twists and turns. Again, you have to meet the average median income, 100% of the average median income. And, and here's another twist, okay? Okay. If you are a first-time home buyer, and your partner or, your, or the person that you're buying, husband, wife, partner, whatever, that you're buying the house with, had owned a home in the past and you're under the 100% average median income of your county, you still qualify. As long as one borrower is a first-time home buyer who hasn't been on the deed of a property, which means you haven't owned a home in the past two years, you qualify for these loan-level price adjusters, waiving of the loan-level price adjusters, which helps... Tremendously, it could save you a point, point and a half in the interest rate. It's that substantial.
2: Hmm. I want you to call me at seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. What about many people say, okay, I don't, I don't make enough money to 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 buy a home. Um, my credit's not right, or say I'm a server in a restaurant. And so, a lot yeah. of my money, I get cash. You know, you get you get your baselines, you get your baseline wages. But most of the money that they make, for example, would be in cash.
9: Yeah, that's a challenge because we have to go with documentable income with the enemy uh. Freddie Mac loans, right? So you have to be a W two to ten ninety nine. Here's another challenge that we've been um, coming up against. If you went from a a W-2 employee and went to another division within your company and became a 1099, Danny May Freddie Mac requires a two-year history of a 1099 income because you've got different ways of writing things off. If you're a W-2 employee, we could count your income on day one. We don't need a two-year history of that. So if you're a salaried employee, again, there's a lot of twists and turns and, and rules that we have to follow. Which, which protects the integrity of Fannie Mae and Freddie Macs, and make sure that the borrower can qualify for the loan, have the ability to repay the loan, which is very important, right? We don't want anybody getting into any type of foreclosure situations because their income change. That's why they want a two-year history when you're a commissioned worker or an hourly worker. They like to see a history of that to make sure that you can afford to repay the loan because they the servicer who's servicing your loan doesn't want to you know, issue a foreclosure notice to kick you out of the home. We don't want that. We want to make sure that the borrowers that were helping secure a home can afford the home that they are purchasing and understand all the different twists and turns that comes with owning a home, right? You're in a condo, okay? If your condo building has some type of special assessment, well, that could impact you by tens of thousands of dollars. I have friends down in Florida that got wiped out, that lived in condos. They got wiped out by the recent hurricane. He just got a bill for $70,000 because he his he, he's one-thirtieth of the condo, and they needed a ton of money to repair mm-hmm. the condo. And where is he going to come up with the $70,000? So these are the things, if you own a home and the furnace goes out, due to COVID, a furnace went from, Two to three thousand dollars to five to six to seven thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Where are you going to come up with the money to replace the furnace or the air conditioner? If your roof goes out because you're living in a in a home and a roof, the life of a roof is anywhere from fifteen to thirty years, and you need a new roof. A roof costs you five to fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. Where are you going to come up with that? So these are the things that the education portion of buying a home comes into play because yeah, it's exciting to get the keys. I didn't say you're a homeowner, but again you go home you flip the switch to turn the heat or the air on and it doesn't work you now have to fix it right You call mm-hmm. out the HVAC company that that's going to be a hundred dollars just for the truck to roll out to you at least a100 dollars So these are the things that our listeners have to be aware of to make sure that if home ownership is one of their goals and a home ownership is what they want in the future that they understand that there are costs associated with home ownership upkeep. That they need to be aware of, and they need well, to budget accordingly
5: to be successful.
2: Let me give you a couple of questions. I mean, because people are they're scrolling in with questions. D. Ray says, "What interest rate is Fannie, Mac, is, is, is Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac offering compared to the seven percent interest rate?"
9: Well, here, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. If, if you're looking to buy a home and you're not a first-time home buyer, there's a lot of factors that go into it. the type of property that you buy. Your credit score comes into play then, and the amount of your down payment. So it's tough to give you a specific answer. That's why I always say in the 7s, okay? Because, it, and and what your loan to value is, right? If you've got 780 credit scores and your loan to value is at 30%, which means you have a lot of equity in your home, you, you live in a Here, uh, you take this example. You live in a a $300,000 home. You have a $100,000 mortgage. You're at 33% loan-to-value, which means you have 66% equity in your home. That's a very low-risk loan. If you have good credit and a low-risk loan, you're going to get a lower rate the low sevens today. If you live in a a two-unit building and your credit score is in the 680s and you're trying to buy a home with 10% down, you're probably going to be in the high sevens. You might be in the eight or you might be in the high sevens and have to pay a discount point in order to get into the home. So there's a lot of different factors and you have to be careful against lenders that just quote rates. I never quote rates because there are so many different variables that go into securing a mortgage and an interest rate that it's, it's, it's a, it's a trap. So don't get, don't get, don't get caught in that trap when you see these low, low rates and these and these lenders out there quoting rates it's a trap they shouldn't be doing it and it's quite frankly illegal because once you give a specific rate you're supposed to technically give an annual percentage rate with it that's why if you just say in the sevens you're you know you get around that
2: well that's why you need to call and give the rate call them at 855 david eight five 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 six david so that you can give team hockberg the specifics of your situation, and they can answer these questions for you. Eric said he wants to know about veterans with service connected disability pay.
9: Sure, yeah, service connected uh, uh, disability. If you're in Illinois, and I know a lot of th- all, the, all the different states have got different
2: uh, Now, Eric's in LA.
9: Programs. Uh, okay, so LA, he has to check. What uh, which county officer? I know in Illinois, if you're greater than 70% service-connected uh, disabled, which means you you um, contracted some type of disability serving our country, right? I'm working with a lot of mm-hmm. Vietnam vets that got poisoned with Agent Orange, and they're having a ton of difficulties right now. All of those uh, individuals that I'm working with are greater than 70% service-connected disabled, and here in Illinois, you get uh, you don't have to pay any real estate tax, which is a huge benefit for a ton of Real a ton of homeowners. Now, if you're trying to buy a home with a VA loan and you're service-connected disabled, you don't have to pay the VA funding fee. The VA funding fee is waived, which is a fee that is added on top of a VA loan that guarantees the loan in the event that the the veteran defaults on the loan. And the VA loans are one of the best-performing loans with 0% down. So all the 0% down skeptics out there, VA loan offers 0% down, and those are the lowest default rates on any loan out there are VA loans. So, uh, I would Eric was the gentleman's name, uh, was the listener's name, I would I would Eric. I would advise mm-hmm. Eric to, I would I would advise Eric to go to the county, check with his county to see what type of um, uh, te- if they have any tax abatement programs for veterans with uh, service connected disabilities cuz here in Illinois the veteran has to take they're, um, every year, have to prove their level of disability via the VA down at the county level at the at the assessor's office in order to get their real estate taxes either decreased or waived.
2: Well, you know what I'm going to advise him to do? I'm going to advise him to call your office so that you can. Yes, please. So please. that your people can tell him to do that because that is what you do. Uh, eight. Five 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 six. David, call them. Eric, as soon as the show is over, call them. Indeed, Hannah wants to know what guidance can you provide on VA loans? I've got one more minute. <laughs> a lot of people have yeah. a lot of questions for you.
10: <laughs>
9: yeah, VA loans are great loans. It's one of the best loans that we do. Anytime we do help a veteran get in a a home, um, you know, VA loans they they offer no no mortgage insurance. They offer zero percent down opportunity 100 percent financing they offer 100 percent cash out opportunities to take cash out of your home i'm just going to rattle a bunch of these off they offer um if you're a um if you have a service connected disability like i previously mentioned sorry for talking fast we're trying to get all this in they mm-hmm. the uh, va waives the the funding fee so we don't have to add an extra um fee on top of that in order to guarantee the loan but again i know we're short on time eight uh, 855-56-DAVID, which is eight five 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 six three two eight four three, 563 2843 They can go to the website, cantina56david.com.
2: And we One last question.
9: Very good. Yep, go. Well,
2: you gotta, you're going to have to come back. One last question. No, you said do not use that debit card. Why?
9: Yeah, it's a sucker's bet. The uh, debit card is, it does, you do not build any credit using a debit card, and I would encourage all of your listeners to Frank Abagnale with the movie Catch Me If You Can. He was the biggest uh, scam artist writing fraudulent checks in the 70s. Leonardo DiCaprio played him in the movie Catch Mm -hmm. Me If You Can. If you Google Frank Abagnale, A-B-I-G-N-A-L-E, and look up why debit cards are bad, he's got a great two-minute video that explains it because I don't have time to explain it now. Debit cards are the worst things that you could do if you're trying to establish credit because you're not establishing any credit. You're just using your own money. It's a sucker's play. I'll help you with the credit card. Let's help 20 of your listeners or their friends, family, coworkers, workers neighbors buy a home. I'll, I'll walk them through how to establish credit, enhance their credit, build their credit, understand the process, and we'll try do our best to get them in a home by the end of the year. Our goal, our my goal was 100. You're like, let's let's tamp that down a little, David. So so no,
2: you, you threw out 20, and then you said 100. I said, well, let's start with 20, because, look, if we can get a million, <laughs> I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'm,
9: yeah,
6: well, I'm never going to
2: stop that. That's right. 20. Everybody, Team Hawkburg, 855-56-DAVID, eight five five five, five six 56 five, 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 david Oh, oh star child just stop it <laughs> you're just trying to be negative we're trying to help and this is what we're going to do and so and, and don't use that cr- that crass language on this on this chat line do not do that now do not do that if you disagree and if you think that this is not credible then you say that but do not use foul language not here don't do well, it no, oh, that's, call that's right. Lord call, Star you. Child, call 855 yeah. david 855 david and everybody call 855 david Eric, even you in L.A., no matter, Jewel in New York, anyone, anywhere, call so that you can find out, so that they can point you in the right direction. I'm sending you much love. Thank you, David Hochberg. I can't wait to have you back in the next few weeks. Thank you, Santina. Absolutely. And you know what, Santita, what's wrong with you?
9: <laughs> I, say, well, I said, Santita. What did I say?
2: It's, it's, it's. I thought you said Santina. I was about to pass out. I was no, like, oh, Santina. no. I said Santina. Santina.
9: Oh,
2: <laughs> it's all Santina. right. Santina. Before my mother, my mother will get me for that. You know that. All right. It's David Santina. Hochberg, everybody. Hi, David. 855. Absolutely. 855-56-David. 855-56-David. Let's talk about child labor, everybody. It has quadrupled in the United States since 2015. How can that be? Going to talk with Dr. Max Wolf about it, and talk you get a preview of the jobs report in just a few minutes on the Santita Jackson Show. We
0: can change the world, change the world, change the world. We can, we can change the world, we can change the world, change the world.
1: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
2: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Should I should say, welcome back on March 9th, 2023. In the throes of this election season, this afternoon from 4 to 6, we will have a health and wellness panel here on WCPT. And all my brothers and sisters up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, I hope that you will join in. Eric and out in LA, and Carol in Los Angeles, and Jewel in New York, and all of you, and Antho from France, and everybody from every place, please. Join us from 4 to 6 Central Standard Time. We're going to be talking about integrative medicine, naturopathic remedies, all kinds of questions you'll be able to have answered uh, if you tune into the health and wellness panel. Of course, Patty Vasquez and Joan Esposito and I will be moderating it, and we cannot wait, cannot wait uh, to welcome you to the panel. So let's talk about child labor in the United States. It has quadrupled, quadrupled, quadrupled since 2015, have we not learned anything? Why are we using little babies to do grown folks' work? Why are we excluding? Why are we excluding grown people from the workplace? What is child labor and why is it still the scourge and still alive in America. Why is it surging? What is going on, everybody? What did, what did Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, why is she expanding, loosening restrictions on child labor in Arkansas? Why are they doing the same in Iowa and Minnesota? What is happening? You know, I had to find out. So let me go to you, Dr. Max Wolf, And, and why, it, why is this something that is concerning, of, of concern to you? Why does it concern you?
11: and children being put to work. And we had a pretty horrific story come out uh, relating to to activity over the last several years, um, actually which included Arkansas, um, meat processing facilities and slaughterhouses, which had kids as young as 13, in many cases, working, cleaning kill floors, sometimes overnight, where they were getting hurt, cleaning equipment that decapitates and opens the skulls of cows and things like this, and they were having horrific nightmares. Right? So we know a bunch of reasons that this has been a persistent problem. It's a docile workforce. If, if you want a workforce that you can boss around and whose rights you can violate, doesn't get a whole lot more vulnerable than a kid. A lot of these kids are also undocumented or under underdocumented. So you have a child, and you have a child who has a very good sense, no doubt, of the precariousness, often of their family financially, but also of their family legally and status issues. And it's an inexpensive way to get people to take dangerous jobs at pay they can't live on and Mm -hmm. the growing fragility of the circumstance for a lot of immigrants. Whenever you see, ironically, whenever you see a sort of pop-up in anti-immigrant sentiment, it always makes immigrants more vulnerable and therefore cheaper and more desperate, which attracts the attention of a certain type of employer. So this is not going to be everybody or most employers, but it's going to be some, and If you want to say, oh, wow, look what happened two weeks ago in Arkansas. It wasn't only Arkansas, but it was two counts of this child labor practice was in Arkansas, where there is a large meat processing business. And those large meat processing businesses do not have a great history in terms of employment, of people of color, of children, of of the way employees are put at risk in the facilities, which are often quite dangerous, maybe got a lot of attention more recently, around the kids and around COVID and lack of COVID spacing and protection, but in the best of days, those are hard jobs and hard to kill, right? And in a tough job market, especially if you're not looking to pay all that much, um, you know, jobs on the killing floor of a meat processing facility or cleaning up the, the, the aftermath of that are you know they're among the rougher jobs. They're dangerous, potentially somewhat upsetting you know, and they often have overnight shifts to keep the production facility up and running. So it kind of has an odd cocktail. Those, those, those kind of jobs tend to have an odd cocktail of undesirable characteristics. Right. And so they've tended to be places where people who are pretty vulnerable were employed. And if you're looking to fill up labor force because you're having trouble recruiting employees, especially under tough conditions and or with limited salaries, then there's always an idea of having children and, then, if you're looking to find employees and keep their costs under under control, then swelling the labor force by adding people to it who, who were once excluded from it, like children, um, makes a certain sense And sort of perverse logic of the market. I would say it does make it sometimes tricky to understand the strident pro-child policies that these people attempt to do. I wonder if maybe family values should be turned to family value, just figure out how to make money off employing everyone in there. And the plural was confusing of values. But, yeah, it, it, it is hard to imagine kids under 16 to whom this rule applied um, needing less protection in today's
2: labor market. Well, I want to know what I mean, what what is governor huckabee sanders doing i mean and she's not alone we're seeing this in iowa we see we see this wherever anyone can get away with it particularly in these right to work states Um, and wherever people are trying to make money they will do it you know i mean of course we are riveted by the photos of the children in the factories at the turn of the last century but we had child labor and slavery in the united states i mean that is what we do And I just want to know, what are the factors that are driving this now? I mean, it's quadrupled in the United States since 2015. It's just hard for me to imagine someone, under a child under 16, a child, in these dangerous situations in these factories, out in these fields. What's going on here?
11: Yeah, by the way, Arkansas does not have a reputation, nor should it, as a tough place to be an employer Right, so we're not mm-hmm. looking at, oh, this really expressive law. What, what they're basically removing is that you don't need parental permission as an administrative hassle to work when you're under 16 years of age. That's most of this. It's not everything. It's most of the provision that we're talking about here. So also in a state where a 12 year old girl who might have been assaulted by a family member needs to talk it over with their parents before not getting her reproductive rights. It's weird she doesn't have to talk over her job with mom and dad. But, uh, yeah, I guess her genitals are good for the family discussion, but maybe not a gig. <laughs> it seems a bit
0: unusual.
11: Those are the rules I've encountered, you know, but I guess everyone has the right to their own. I do think, to be fair to, to, to Governor Saunders uh, here, I don't know the intent, right? I do know that it's a large meat processing state, and it's a state that has a fair uh, fair number of relatively moderately skilled assembly line type jobs. And there have been some
2: no, wait a minute. This is the home of Walmart, which, as part of their intake process, taught their employees how to apply for welfare. Come on, Max. Yeah. What is up?
4: But there's
11: also big meat processors in the stage, right? Yeah. The history and more of the underage employment than Walmart does. Walmart doesn't make much, so they have warehouses, but they're not, they're not as big in the manufacturing space. But yes, Walmart's famously from there, as is Tyson which is more the meat processing type of companies. Mm-hmm. In any case, there's also some sort of moderately skilled manufacturing jobs. Things like the manufacturing jobs, the sort of less skilled, lower paying manufacturing jobs and food processing writ large, particularly meat processing, have been areas that have really struggled to get in and keep employees without, you know, raising the salaries, right? And so I think that that might be kind of her saying thank you to them for their support uh, in, in her various and possible future election ideas. I mean, she is sometimes talked about at least as a vice presidential candidate, quite frequently. I don't mm-hmm. know how likely it is, but she's fairly prominent. Obviously, her father was very prominent. He was also the governor. Um, and she's from a political family. She grew up with a household of, of two parents. This is so. Governor
2: Huckabee's so. daughter. I mean, you know, White House, oh, yeah. you know, Press secretary. I mean, she's, secretary,
0: yeah. she's tremendous credentials
2: and all of that. I'm just, am I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it is in the culture, what it is in the water, so to speak, metaphorically speaking, where we feel that it is all right to hire out children well, and to put them be, in harm's yeah. way, to take them out of school, Max.
11: Yeah, I mean, I don't know too many people, whatever their beliefs are, who would rather their kid work an overnight shift in the slaughterhouse than go to a drag show. <laughs> whatever you think of the drag shows, I mean, look, if you're asking me, see in the front row. I'll think my chances. That seems a lot better than cleaning up the slaughterhouse. Right? So there's also a question here about what's dangerous for kids. And I'm not sure we all agree. Right. So a lot of people think I think that, you know, firearms might be dangerous for kids in part because they are the statistical leading cause of death for a lot of kids in the country. Other people don't. I guess we can have a debate about that. I'm seeing a guy dressed up as a woman, and I'm not talking about Rudy Giuliani every single Halloween. I mean, at a show where you have to pay admission. That seems to be the issue. Not when you see it for free. But If you have an admissions price on it, uh, that's apparently really jarring to a lot of people, and I guess just not going to the show isn't an option that everyone feels is sufficient. So yeah, I guess what we're doing to protect these kids, and, and, and I think is up to some debate, but I think there are very few people who would tell you that an industrial job for more than a small number of hours is without risk for a young person. On the flip side, I think the argument will be made, and that argument may be more about the American economy than anything else, that there are young kids under 16 who need to support their families, and giving them the additional hassle of getting a certification from the government that you know their families are okay with it and that it's not too dangerous seems honest. I think it's probably the bare minimum, to be honest, and it doesn't look to me like it's a good investment in the labor force direction of the country, and I'll tell you why. Nobody, whatever they tell you, is hiring 14, 15-year-olds to train them,
0: hmm.
11: right? People are hiring 14 and 15-year-olds to fill labor gaps and get inexpensive, fairly docile labor, at least most of the time. Now You can never say every time, but most of the time. And so it is an effort to enlarge the labor force with people who are going to have an extremely difficult time standing up to difficult conditions or low wages in the workforce. And again, the kind of jobs we're talking about here aren't much training. The the exception I think most people do see a rationale for was already in place, and that's working in the family business, right? So if your family owns a store, if your family owns a restaurant, we've all kind of understood that folks often grow up Working there and it's kind of okay. Obviously, you hope that the folks and and the people in those businesses take special care with the younger folks, but we kind of understand that. And those exceptions were were more or less in place. So this is not that case. This is more you know another case. And then the other question begins to be, what equality exists between a kid who's working all night at the slaughterhouse and then going to school, and the kids who aren't?
0: <laughs>
11: and we say those people have the same opportunity because we I think believe most of us that they should and that becomes kinda harder to think, right? Is that person going to be awake in school? Are they going to be able to be a part of the schooling and the social life and the after school and the athletics programs? Maybe, you know, there's some exceptional young people out there, but it's a it's a big ask of a little person.
2: It's a big ask. I mean, I want to know, what is the justification? I mean, where is this going? Because it has we've seen the numbers just explode over the past eight, nine years. So where is this going? I mean, grown people need jobs, and they need to be paid sufficiently uh, for the jobs that they do. That's not what's happening. It's like we're going backwards, Max. I mean, this is a sitting U.S. governor who said, look, we're still going to protect the children, but... (laughs) <laughs> not at Under work. 16? Not at work. I mean, like, what, what is that?
11: Yeah, not at work. We don't want to protect them so much. Um, yeah, I, look, I, I don't know what's in her mind, and I'm sure she's a, you know, a deeply religious person and probably has a rationale that makes good and moral sense to her. And since I don't know her, and I don't know her motivations, probably not fruitful for me to wildly conjecture this. What I would say is I would see this, and I think a lot of people would, as... Arkansas is open for child labor, especially coming two weeks after a huge scandal in the meat processing industry in which multiple companies, including some large companies in her state were fined hundred plus thousand dollars for some pretty egregious labor violations of some very young people, you know, in their early teens. And so it does kinda look like we're open for business. You want to hire kids, come on down. And that may be a million miles from her intention, but it's going to be hard for me not to be very nervous that that's going to be a message people receive, whether it's what she wanted them to receive or not.
2: Well, I mean, I would like to know, you know, what that what she's trying what she's trying to do. I want to know what's happening in Iowa, and Minnesota. I mean, this is this is not I read the isolated.
11: So the statements all say basically. It's another governmental layer of red tape for kids who are trying to help out their families by earning some money, right? And we want to remove this. I would caution that this is reminiscent of some of the debates we had early on with a broader role for women in the labor force. When there was sort of this idea, hey, let's bring in all these new people, and they don't need all these protections. And back then, it was always these ideas are always about pin money it's so always like, hey, let's not, you know, they used to call pin money, rather condescendingly, which is, hey, let's not exclude these ladies who want the adventure of earning some of their own spending money at work, right? As opposed to, a, I think, a more sort of full analytics, which is, hey, we are driving a large number of people, including children and women, and women and children together are disproportionately represented in the poverty ranks of the U.S., women with young children, are impoverished, and we want someone to pay them so they can make a box and people can make money off of their inexpensive labor. That has been where this usually ends up economically, right? Like that we can lower wages, right? And then it has a perverse effect, like included, like inclusion sometimes does, which is if you make adults compete with children for jobs, right? Some people will say, Hey, let's get the kids out of the labor force. This doesn't look good. But a lot of people will be jealous and angry and feel like the kid took their job. And the re- reaction sometimes in the polls is to strip away the protections because people become angry at those those kids for taking their jobs, as opposed to upset that the kids are desperate and encouraged to work. Right? And so you get that tension that's been common between immigrants and native born, in some cases, men and women, in some cases, white and black, right? So we see these tensions. And it's another way for things to, to potentially go toward a more kind of combative model as opposed to a protective model. Especially when it comes to kids, you know, kind of kind hard to believe. It's also seems strangely out of character for a party that has been pretty excited about saying that everything should be left to the parent. Homeschool your kid, decide whether or not they learn sex ed, decide whether or not they can have reproductive rights if they're a young girl, all this stuff, right? Like So all these kind of things, you think these emerging citizens... Should be allowed to do. Most of us folks who support these child labor laws don't. So here's my proposal to all these people. Shouldn't these kids be voting? Hmm. I mean, if you're working all night cleaning up the slaughterhouse with a broom, I'd say you've earned a right to show up at the polls. How about
2: that? I mean, if, you're
11: old, if you're old enough to scrub the kill floor, you're probably old enough to vote. I am shocked that there's no interest in that. But I bet you, I bet you good money. We're not going to see a rush for youth voting from this community
2: well, as they say that part, but you know I mean but it, it's it's just I'm just trying to you know there's something there's something in there's something that is that is run afoul here because there's some lessons that we have not learned there's high demand for workers the answer is what to get child laborers I mean I'm just trying to figure out how the system works, max I mean because you have. You know, people, they say there's a high demand for work. People have jobs, but you don't pay them. But, you know, inflation, So, but the Fed wants to hike the rates. But you, what we're going to have to do is fire some more people. That's going to be good for the economy. How is firing people going to be good for the economy? How is hiring children going to be good for the economy, let alone the society? I mean, this is, there's something that's the way off here, Max.
11: Them. Yeah, but the okay. part that is consistent is when you have a really kind of purest, hardcore, ideological belief that government regulations are bad, then you can easily become interested in sweeping away all kinds of government regulations, many which are not good, you know, that you're right to sweep away, and some that are quite important, then you're not right to sweep away. And I think if you get into a sort of crowd-pleaser environment where saying anything negative about the government, anything negative about the other political party, anything negative about the leadership of the other political party gets you cheers and excitement, then you're going to go too far in that direction, right? And I think there's kind of always an audience for deregulate, get the free market back in the driver's seat, get the nanny state out of the driver's seat. But that rhetoric, I think, has gotten very convoluted because now there's all these interests in restricting the books people read and the shows they go to and reproductive rights. And so you sort of have this crash up of reactionary ideas of people trying to figure out how to torture the future into the box that they imagine contains the past. I think that imaginary past is important because that imaginary past is often wrong, right? And I think you see that in a lot of things. Maybe child labor laws will be the next frontier, but I think you see that around voting rights access. I think you see that around the sort of bizarre debate about book banning and critical race theory. Right? We're like, hey, we used to pretend we hadn't done slavery, so let's keep pretending we didn't do slavery. Like, okay, <laughs> that's an unusual view of, of scholarship. Right? Like, hey, we used to understand less about this thing we did that was terrible, and we didn't teach it, so now let's also not teach it. All right, I hope that's like the science curriculum. Otherwise, we're learning a lot about you know, bad humor from the joys of leeching. It's an unusual model, right? But it's a model that says, Hey, governments belong here, not there. Right, and that is a long-term thing. All societies that have a market segment and a free market segment wrestle constantly with where to draw those lines. Right, and there's gains and losses no matter where you draw the lines. I guess, but I think what we've seen is the things people thought were kind of sacred, maybe like certain prohibitions on child law, child labor, and such, may be much more close to becoming contested or, or softened, you know, than, than we had thought, right? And the last piece is, I wonder, ironically, if the folks who hate immigrants and have kept them out are now trying to create another underclass of labor. Of course they Historically, are. Historically, they look for children and prisoners often, if you know American mm-hmm. history, you know, children and folks who aren't quite free labor, right? So before 1865, obviously, that was enslaved people, right? Right. But, the, but
2: remember, remember the exception to the, free, the, freeing, the freeing of slaves was if you go to prison, essentially you go back into slavery.
11: Right. Yeah, That's been consistent, I think, for a yeah. long time. Right. So I think the sort of size of prison labor is not. So we have a very large incarcerated population. We didn't always, by the way. But we do have a very large incarcerated population since the 1970s. And there is a fair amount of prison labor. Right, as composed, opposed to even other periods in American history so you can look there although even the incarcerated population is obviously much smaller than the population of early teens
2: well right. you know and remember the DOJ had a program and has had a program through the prisons that allows corporations uh, some of our like Victoria's Secret etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, to use prison labor on the cheap yeah, I've got less than a minute here where do we go from here
11: Yeah, I think we we have to decide to have something a little bit closer to a conversation about where we think labor protection lies. Because I think we've lost a lot of our labor protection with the transition Mm -hmm. to the gig economy and independent contractors. And I think that's partly part of the reason, by the way, that our labor numbers, including the ones we'll get tomorrow morning, don't tell the complete story. Because there's so many folks working on the DL, below the radar, with no reporting. There's so many folks listed as independent contractors. There's so many folks in these unusual arrangements. And when you start to add it up, it becomes very hard for us to get a picture of what's actually going on for a lot of working people because too many of those stories aren't captured in the labor statistics. And this would be another gray zone that we're opening up here And it's hard for me, again, I don't know all the details, but it's hard for me, with what I know of history and what I know of the present moment here, to think that further de-restricting people under 16 to work in the labor force is a good idea, or at least doesn't merit a lot more debate than I've seen.
2: Well, you know when Maria Gonzalez said? Hey, her uncle worked in the federal prison making car plates for 30 cents an hour. Girl, I hear you. This is ridiculous. And we will not be blessed if we don't bless people. This is not right. But at least you have the information now. Now do something with it. Vote about it, and get on your representatives and tell them that you do not like this. Love you, everybody. God bless you. Thank you, Henry, for a great show. Dr. Wolf, it's always a joy being with you. Yep. <laughs> everybody, stay with me. I'm going to talk with them the but just. I'm talking with them for a couple more minutes on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Love you, everybody. Have a great, great day.
12: Oh, um, our poor teacher, it was a man and all these little 11 and 12 year olds giggling, you know, <laughs> you know, we're 11 and 12. We're yeah. going to giggle. <laughs> um, now, you also said that um, uh, your school board, I assume uh, Fairfax County has approved a plan to address school traffic and pedestrian safety. Thank you. That's important. Yeah. Um, um, how- well, you know,
10: around, uh, I, I think this is probably consistent around the country, but, um, you know, there are various things that happen around schools at um you know when students are arriving and when they're leaving Mm -hmm. um that make it more dangerous around a school Mm -hmm. um not every school but many schools and um unless you have a systemic way of dealing with that um it's it's um it's not organized in such a way that people are very clear about how to address issues and so that's what we're seeking to do there um, is make sure that um, all of the many different areas that we need help in from the county, from the state, et cetera, um, are prioritized in such a way that they're getting addressed.
12: Yeah, Because uh, one of the neighborhoods that I walk in, there's a uh, middle school. And, you know, 8 o'clock, it's like jammed with cars and kids and stuff. And it's, yeah. it's not easy to navigate because now I'm walking around and then all these guys, these men and women that have been dropping off their children, they're speeding to get to work. Right. You know, and it's 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 like it's dangerous <laughs> yeah. sometimes. I try to avoid it if I can too early in the day, um, because it's it's it is dan- and I and they, there are stoplights and everything next to the school, but the neighborhood itself is just stop signs and and things like that. So parents just you know, tra- with
10: kids and parents darting between cars yeah. and everything else, and so you really need to take a thoughtful approach to making sure that all of those issues are handled. Right, um, but you know what's more frightening. Um, uh, you know, it is this how far the far right has gone from where they used to stand on education.
12: Yeah.
10: Right? They used to say local control was best. And now we're seeing a complete attack on local control at the state level, at the national level. Um, they have, you know, whatever there was in the Republican Party pre Trump has been completely replaced by. Um, a more authoritarian uh, way of doing business.
12: Yeah, these are states' rights people that are now not even close to that. You know, I mean, it's... Well, they're,
13: they're states' rights if they don't like what the federal government is doing. Exactly. When they're in control, they want it to be their way or the highway.
12: Exactly. Um, in fact, uh, 13, this is more Frederick- Frederica Wilson. This is what she said.
13: You
14: are crafting a ludicrous fake waste of time, a bunch of bull that you call a parent's bill of rights to monitor the most dedicated sacrificial work for us in our nation
12: with some cheap stunt pretending that you really care Mm -hmm. yeah she's absolutely right i mean especially florida is looking for more teachers and i wouldn't want to be a teacher in florida right now i'd be terrified to teach
10: well you you zoom out from this and it becomes pretty clear what's going on there are three pillars to a strong democracy um, a free and independent media, public education, quality public education for everybody, um, and uh, the access to the right to vote. And uh, Trump and the right have been attacking all three of those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, you know whether it's the longstanding attacks on the independent media by Trump and the far right, whether it's the attacks on public education by Trump and the far right, and um, claims that kids are being indoctrinated, which is just hogwash. Yeah. Um, or the attacks on the right to vote. All three of those things are under siege right now.
12: Well, yeah, the, the, the uh, data collection company, ERIC, um, they, they help states get rid of voters that are either dead or have moved and get them off the, the voter rolls. Oh yeah, this A story. bunch of GOP states are now opting out of their help, and it's always been bipartisan. And basically what they do is they look at the voter rolls, they uh, compare them to, say, death records, um, they
13: check with death, death records and they also check for, for for moving from yeah. one state to another so that you're not registered to so vote. So that you're not, you know, states.
12: well and and the first I remember when everybody was complaining about um, dead people voting and a friend of mine was like, "Well, why should they still be on the voter rolls?" I said, "Yeah, because the first thing you think about is a family member is, "Oh, I better call the voter registration people to let them know my so and so is dead." Right. I mean, that's the lot. La- you're not thinking that no. way. I mean, I'm sure Nobody does. I I, I would imagine my sister, who died in two thousand two, she was probably on the voter rolls for a few years after I'm that. I'm sure my
13: dad was on the voter rolls for quite a while. After you that.
12: know, because it's not the first thing you think about, and so I mean, it's good that this company does it, and they're not doing it poorly, like with Jeb Bush and others in Texas. You know, comparing just last names and and you know f- right. how names are. It's a it's a good program, I think, and it's bipartisan and it's never had an issue. But apparently, the Republicans in certain states are like it's too it's too fair. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs>
10: I'll tell you what the issue is. There's a, a group out there called True the Vote, which uh, I believe has put together a system for doing what they would claim is something similar. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like you said. Um, they have so many false positives that people get purged off the voter rolls who did absolutely nothing wrong. Right. Because most of those people end up being Democrats, Republicans don't have an issue with it.
12: Of course. Of course. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what happened with um, Jeb Bush in Texas because he and uh, – uh, they were comparing just names, not birthdays, not middle names, just first and last names. Oh, well, they're both – these two names are registered. You know, John Smith is in Texas and he's also in Florida, so he needs to be purged from both.
10: Mm-hmm. Well, you saw similar things play out after 2020 when uh, Trump's legal team would complain about certain specific voters saying that they were dead. Right. And then reporters – would go and find those voters and talk to
12: them. Right. Well, and that's the other thing. A lot of people die after they voted.
13: Mm-hmm. Right.
12: So they were alive when they voted and say they died a week after the vote was counted. That shouldn't their count their vote should still matter. They or voted they, while they were they alive. Or they
13: voted absentee or voted early.
12: Yeah. I mean, you know, it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. People that have voted legally, they sh- their vote should still count even though they're now dead. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, They voted. Their voice should be heard once, st- once. They got the vote in. They got the vote in in time. So, yeah, I find it um, disconcerting uh, of the voter suppression laws that are being passed nationwide. Is uh, you know with. Everybody, it's it's. Well, the
10: only way to get around them is to keep voting, exactly. and get the right people in. Yep. Yes,
12: yes, yes, and fight for your right to vote. If uh, right. make sure you're registered up until the moment you, you try can to. You fight vote. for your
10: right
5: to party
12: later. Yeah, you can party after the right. vote. Exactly. <laughs> you, can, you can. When be you East win. Boys when later. you win the vote. Yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you, Carl. You look dapper.
10: Thank you very much.
12: I, I like that you dress <laughs> up for breakfast. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> well,
10: I heard you were guesting, so I was like, "Gosh, I got to get my." my act together. <laughs> Get your A-game on for Jody. Yeah, because look at me, Stephanie. you
12: know. <laughs> Don't tell Stephanie.
13: <laughs> well, Jody right, didn't go. wear a hat to work today. <laughs>
12: <laughs> all right, Carl, it was lovely right. talking to you. Take Thanks care. You Bye. Hey, it is uh, 46 minutes after the hour. We'll be right back on The Stephanie Miller Show. Uh,
0: family. Yes, family.
6: It's The Stephanie Miller Show.
13: Don't even think about turning the dial. The Tom Hartman program is coming up next at 11 right here on WCPT 820, Chicago's
2: Progressive
4: Talk.
15: At Bombas, we make socks, underwear, and T-shirts that feel good and do good. Why do Bombas feel so good? Because they're thoughtfully designed with the softest materials, like premium Pima cotton and thermoregulating merino wool. They're also engineered with comfort innovations, like socks with built in arch support and shirts with tag free necklines. They're better basics, high quality enough to wear over and over again. How do Bombas do good? For every comfy item of clothing you purchase, another comfy item is donated to someone experiencing homelessness. It's exceptional comfort that gives back. So far, we've been able to put over 75 million items of clothing into the hands of people who need them, making an impact that's bigger than all of us. That's a whole lot of comfort and a whole lot of good. And it's all thanks to your purchases. Go to bombas.com slash Stephanie and use code Stephanie for 20% off your first purchase. That's B O M B A S dot com slash Stephanie and use code Stephanie at checkout.
10: Do you have a car sitting around you want to get rid of? Then here's a great idea donate your car and help veterans and their families. Yes, one fast call to the Veteran Car Donation Program and we'll come and remove your car for free. Fast, free towing and 24 hour response you can donate most cars trucks or suvs in most conditions the proceeds raised goes to help active military veterans and their families and you get a tax deduction all you need to do is make this free call get rid of that old car and help the vets we make it easy make this free call now and book your fast and easy pickup call the veteran donation program now donate your car and help veterans and their families operators are standing by here's the number 800-880-5013. 800-880-5013.
0: 800-880-5013. That's 800-880-5013.
1: The David Pac-Man Show.
13: Is there nothing they won't defend if it has an R next to its name and if the left doesn't like it? We saw they went for Trump. Now, even with George Santos, they're finding a way to defend him. Hopefully in the future, people will learn about this era and they will say, wow, what a stupid era. Really the golden age of ignorance there.
1: The David Pac-Man Show, weekday evenings at 10 on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive
0: Talk. And what do you think? I think it's time to tell people to choose wisely. Choose Wendy's Sweet and Crispy Homestyle French Toast Sticks. That's still not an answer. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Let's get it started in here.
8: And the bass keeps running, running. Running and
6: running, running and 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 running, running and, runnin', runnin and, runnin', runnin and, runnin', runnin and In this context, there's no disrespect. So when I bust my rhyme, you break your neck. We got five minutes for us to disconnect from all intellect and let the rhythm affect. To lose our inhibition, follow your intuition, free your inner soul and break away from tradition. Cause when we be out, girl, this full of out, you wouldn't believe how we were out. Turn is it burned out. out, turn it till turn out. out, act up from Northwest East Side. Everybody, here, everybody, here. let's get,
0: get into it, area. get, get, it started. Started. get it started. started get started, get started. Let's get it started, huh. let's get it started in here, let's get it started, huh. let's, get it started. Huh. let's get it started in here, let's get it
1: started. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Yeah.
13: Stephanie Miller.
12: Baby, I got you.
13: <laughs> Stephanie Miller.
12: It is fifty-one minutes after the hour, and and Sonny and Cher are wrong. Uh, Why? I'm not Stephanie Miller. Oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. Jody Hamilton sitting in <laughs> for Stephanie Miller. Three two three four one zero zero four five eight is the number. Sue in Rockville. Ha.
14: Hello there, good morning. Good morning. Carl's always wonderful. You guys are great. And I just want people to be very on the alert about this. The so-called parent groups are all funded by dark money. These yeah. are AstroTurf groups. They're Tea Party Redux. Mm-hmm. Much of it comes from Coke Industries. And the reason for it is there is a fundamental effort by the right wing to destroy public schools in this country. Uh, you know, an educated populace is an informed populace. Knowledge is power. They want to eliminate it. These are all smoke screen- screens. And I would guarantee you, guarantee you, that at least half the parents, show it, so-called parents that show up at these meetings do not even have children in the system.
12: That's very likely. I yeah.
14: put three children through the school system the public school system i currently have four grandchildren in the public school systems various systems in various states i worked in preschool education for over 25 years i've been to and led more parent meetings than you can all count together and i can tell you that the only people who show up are usually you have a couple of really lovely people who want to be who are on your parent board and then you have disgruntled people who have an axe to grind and if i had a school with 275 children okay 250 families and when i had my parent meetings if if 10 showed up i considered it a success exactly these people are being paid to show up paid to spew garbage this is astroturf it's not real and but we have to fight it before we lose public schools,
12: absolutely, you are,
14: and that's my rant of the morning. At a <laughs> girl, uh, yay. rant away,
12: Rock, Rockville. <laughs> I, keep, I just keep Miss <laughs> Rockville, Ms. Rockville, Sue from Rockville. <laughs> uh, thank you, honey. Um, yeah, it's 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 for for the whole like uh, deep uh, weaponization of the federal government. They're mm-hmm. also talking about the DOJ
13: spying on parents, uh, spying
12: and, right. on parents. It's like no, 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 no. It's only people that have been violently. Sure, threatening and people. And Merrick Garland
13: has clarified that time, time and time, and time, time again. again, and that's
12: part of what this stupid bill is for: mm-hmm. is to to allow people, I guess, to be awful. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand a parent gets upset. That's fine. But I remember back in back in my day, um, uh, if you if your teacher said something bad about you, your parents got mad at you, yeah. not at the teacher. Right you know the teacher was on par with your parents with it was
13: a, it was a, a partnership
12: exactly and nowadays it's like you know little susie can't handle whatever and so the parents get mad at the teacher little Susie has some issues at home then yeah. probably. And
13: Absolutely. Maybe the parents should be more involved in the education at home.
12: You know, and, and, and I remember when the pandemic began and we were all praising teachers and now they're not being pra- – these people don't get paid nearly enough oh, God, no. to no. do what they do because it's, it's a lot of babies. Low pay
13: and long days. That's
12: long, long days. Yeah.
13: In the entire clip of Frederica that we played earlier, it was a six-minute long oh, clip that, that she went with. And she talked about, you know – If you really cared about students, you'd be concerned with providing broadband access to everyone, computers to everyone. She said that there were teachers during the pandemic in rural Alabama where they don't have these things. But the teachers literally had to get dressed up in PPP and go around and and, and, and deliver schoolwork to kids and put their lives at risk.
12: Absolutely. I mean, we could play 15.
13: Um, I just love this. How she closes with it. I
12: love it. How dare you?
14: Your third grade teacher is shaking her head in shame and probably saying, baby, what has come over you? <laughs> Give our teachers a raise. Yes. Appreciate it. The
13: gentlelady's time has them. expired.
14: These
0: Please are the wrap things it up.
14: that should be in the Parents' Bill of Rights. I yield back.
12: <laughs> well, and then obviously... It's, this isn't about education per se, but they, the GOP does not want to prevent children from being shot at school. Right. No, they don't. They want to give teachers guns. It's, they already are babysitters and mm-hmm. and uh, counselors to right. these children, right. let alone the actual school counselor. Right. All teachers counsel their kids. Right. All of them do. They already go
13: through training well, to be a teacher. Why put them through training to be a, anything a else? marksman?
12: And and like yeah. you said, long hours. Everybody goes, oh, they get three months off in the summer. Oh, my God.
13: Well, and some of these schools also what they're doing too is they're using books that are not um, like 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 uh, Tango makes three right. about the gay penguins right they're saying that that is they're calling that sex education no it's not it's not there's no sex they're involved in, in the that. same category as porn they're, oh my they're basically God. like if it, they're, they're saying if it involves gay it automatically falls under sex education so they're trying to use like the sex education laws to keep their kids from learning about anything related to gay bisexual lesbian in classes as well
12: that, okay just because somebody is gay or bisexual doesn't mean that it's about s- fornication
13: correct <laughs> because by that by that token you should that, that then means you can't you...
12: teach anything about anything about about straight marriage right
13: because that's at all if you have a picture of a family with a kid you're like oh those parents banged yeah I mean that's you know wh- what's the difference between...
12: mine only did it three times. Four. Mom did have one miscarriage. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. So she had it four times. Dad had it 11, to 12 times because there's 13 actually because Gloria had a miscarriage too. So he only had sex 13 times. My mom only had sex four times. <sighs> My parents
13: only had sex once. Gloria
12: only had sex nine only times. Only
13: once. So. <laughs> I don't know who Who's Gloria?
12: Dad's first wife.
13: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a bunch of other. Uh...
12: <laughs> I have a lot of siblings. You have an extended family. Uh, and half
13: siblings. And... I have,
12: I have, uh. uh Ten. I'm sorry. Um, I have ten brothers and sisters. Um, eight of which my dad had with his first wife. So. Okay. And my oldest sister, uh, her birthday was two days ago. Ah. Uh, she's the oldest of us all. Okay. I won't Happy birthday, big little sister. She's my big little sister because she's not very tall. She is not a tall woman, but she's super wicked smart. She's political. It's funny. Okay. She and the youngest of the first eight are super politics girls in the family. Um, uh, which is kind of where we all learned it from because okay. they're smart yeah. mm-hmm. they really really are super smart I learned a lot from them I like them I love them they're my sisters it is uh, 58 minutes after the hour we will be right back at the top of the hour with Dr. Doom himself Dr. Irwin Lanner. Dr. Redlaner we'll be right back on the Stephanie Miller Show
0: is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin.
13: John, what are you doing? Get in my car. Why are you walking to work? Thanks, man. It's these insanely high gas prices. They are draining my bank account. I can't afford to drive anymore. Dude, don't walk. Just do what I do, because I never pay full price for gas anymore. I use the free Upside app that pays you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy.
6: Wait, you're telling me you get paid
13: cash when you buy gas with the Upside app? Yes, I get real cash back every time I buy gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around 2 dollars! Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the free Upside app now.
14: Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SMART for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's promo code SMART. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, to PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code